You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. to the Needless Things Podcast. I am your host, Phantom Troublemaker, and today we're going to talk about Batman the Television Series. That I It's Batman 66, that's what it's called now, but I don't like calling it that because it's just Batman. It was never called Batman 66, uh, but uh, that's, that's one of those little tiny things that I'm obsessing over that don't really matter. What does matter is that right now I am talking to you not from the Phantom Zone, but from the luxurious boudoir of Phantom Troublemaker. Unfortunately, the Phantom Zone uh, got a little humid. We had a refrigerator issue that leaked all over into the kitchen floor and down into the Phantom Zone, and now we have like five dehumidifiers and eight massive fans blowing to try and dry everything out. Contractors are coming tomorrow to tell us uh, what they're going to have to repair and replace and whatever else. So I, I can't even be downstairs, not because the humidity, because it's really mostly, I mean, honestly, the leak was small. It's, it's going to cost a tremendous amount of money uh, for the insurance company to fix everything. But compared to the flood we endured five and a half years ago, this is nothing. But the fans are so loud that I, I wouldn't even be able to record down there. And actually, there's a tiny bit of background noise even back here in the uh, the the boudoir wing of Troublemaker Estates. <laughs> right. Um, so anyway, I'm up here, and I'm going to try and make this somewhat brief because we've got a lot to cover. My pal Mike Gordon came on the podcast so we could talk about the Batman television show. And we didn't even get to cover everything, uh, but but we talked a good bit and we had a great time, which is really more what I'm concerned about most of the time. What I'm also concerned about is that you know that the Needless Things podcast is available on iTunes and Stitcher and, of course, from NeedlessThingsSite.com, where myself and my crew of writers write about toys, movies, music, conventions, all the good nerdy stuff that everybody, all the kids are into these days. We have a new writer debuted. Uh, it's going to be tomorrow, but for you guys, it'll be yesterday. So go to yesterday's post and check out what Jerry wrote, the interview he did, and see what you think of it. And if you like it, let me know. Tell me you want more Jerry. Um, phantomtroublemaker at gmail.com. Send me stuff about the show. Ask me to write for the website. Uh, we're looking for more writers all the time. I would like to expand the website. I would like to make it the sort of thing where people could just post whenever they wanted to. Uh, I, I want more folks writing for us. So that's the thing. Uh, 
What else is going on here? Uh, March 13th at the Masquerade, I will be hosting a big wrestling extravaganza. It is the, I don't remember what anniversary it is, but our buddies over at wrestlingwithpopculture.com, go check them out. Lots of wrestling stuff and uh, movie reviews and, and things of that nature. Uh, lots of interviews with wrestlers. But it's their anniversary party, and they're having AWE Wrestling and Roar, which is a new women's federation, and one one maybe more MCW match. Not it's it's not like sanctioned. It's not an MCW show, but some of the monsters will be there doing their thing. But it's really it's it's more of a uh, sort of a sampler buffet of local independent wrestling. It's going to be a really good time, and there's a lot of stuff going on that Friday. So we'll we'll see what happens. That's that's a that's a big weekend night. So anyway, that's what's up next for me live appearance wise. And then Sunday after that will be my panel at the Great Atlanta Toy Convention. And I'll tell you more about that coming up very, very soon here because we're going to have those guys back on the show to talk some more about that. Today, uh, that's it, man. I'm just tired. I, it was, I went downstairs to do all this stuff last night and found the, the water all over the place. And, and I didn't, no material stuff was damaged this time. Like I didn't lose any toys or art or anything like that. Like I did with the flood. It was just a big puddle on the ground. I had to throw out some rugs, but you know, whatever. I, I am extremely thankful that I never put carpet back down after the flood because it would be ruined again. Uh, and granted this time the stuff's getting replaced because insurance does cover appliance issues, but, but man, it, it's it's still going to be a pain in the ass. Anything like this is a pain in the ass. So I'm just tired. Uh, so that's it. That's all that's going on. Now it's time to talk about our new feature that I hope you guys are enjoying. You can always let us know either on the Needless Things Facebook page or, as I said, send me a message at phantomtroublemaker at gmail.com. But it's time for our special musical feature. Uh, this week, I've got some close personal friends of mine, the Casket Creatures, a great bunch of guys that great, make some great horror rock. Uh, you can find them on Reverb Nation, of course. Uh, just go there and look for Casket Creatures. And you can find them on Facebook. Same deal. Go to Facebook, search for Casket Creatures. You'll find them. You can listen to their music. You can dig it. And right now, uh, we have a cut from their most recent album, this song is called she screams and i think you'll like it because i like it and you wouldn't be listening to this if our tastes were different like maybe you want to listen to a podcast about i don't know math or shoes or something this isn't the place for that casket creatures probably not going to be featured on a podcast about refrigerator with refrigerators but you're going to find them here and you're going to find them right now we don't true horror on that night Said a few wrong words now Nothing's alright She was possessed on that night On that night She let out a chilling scream As I held her head Things are 
it's nice to have you back on the show, man. It's nice to be back, and even nicer to be talking about those daring Cape Crusaders. Well, there's... uh Last time you were on, we were talking about you, and I've got to say, the only thing I'd rather talk about than you is Batman. <laughs> you, I'm blushing already. <laughs> I think you feel the same way. <laughs> sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the the Batman Blu-ray set uh, came out in was it November? November. Yes, it came out. It, it came out the week of my birthday, uh, but unfortunately, I didn't have anybody either rich enough. Or who loved me enough. So uh, I had to wait until, uh, after the holidays when I found, finally, finally dawned on me, no one else is going to get this for me. Damn it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I made the plunge. I couldn't justify. I mean, it was a high price tag. Yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, now I'm sure, uh, in the, in the coming months, uh, it will, the regular, quote unquote, regular editions of the Blu-rays will be released season by season, probably. And, and it'll be more affordable for folks, but. Well, I think, I think the first season or two are already out. Um, on, I know they are on DVD. I, oh, they haven't done the Blu-ray I yet? I don't know if they've done the Blu-ray yet. Okay. Uh, but, uh, I do know that they're listed on Amazon as the individual seasons on Blu-ray. There's going to be a quote, regular edition. Um, so. Uh, but you know, I mean, we're collectors. We love this stuff. We are, we've got the, the sucker written on our forehead. So of course, you know, yes. and to throw in, Hey, it comes with a Batmobile. Um, I can't which, say no. Which I've already got three of. <laughs> I know. <laughs> but can you ever have enough of those? No, you can't. And actually, you know what? I'm looking at this thing now and, uh, this is larger. Very slightly larger than the one. It's not a Hot Wheels no, it's size not. one. Nope, it's nope. it's a little bigger, yeah. and which makes me more upset that mine's broken. Oh, oh no! The dome light is. It can be glued right back on. It's little tiny pieces, but uh, when I opened it up and and dumped it out, the dome light just rolled right off of it. But my thought was, ah, eh, well, I've got three others. But now I'm I'm realizing. That it's not the same as the other ones, so I've really got to get around to fixing that dome light. The idea is to collect it in every scale possible. Yes, yes, absolutely. And not only does it come with that Batmobile, but we've also got... <laughs> Which I didn't know that it did. Until you picked it up. Yeah, well, no, it, we, it was sitting on top because we, uh, the wife got this for me. She asked me, usually she gets me some kind of, uh, we have a lot of artist friends. Usually she hits one of them up to, to do something for me for Christmas. But this year the time just wasn't there. We had a lot of other things going on and she just asked me, uh, she was like, just tell me what you want. And I was like, well, I, it's too much. The only thing I want is that Batman box set, but it's, the price is ridiculous. So don't, you know, don't worry about it. Give me some other thing. And, uh, she ended up getting me this anyway. Worked some overtime at the comic shop. It is, but, uh, it is worth, I mean, and it is one of those things where we've waited so long for. Oh yeah. It's, it's worth every, it's worth every penny that it cost. It absolutely is. I mean, when you break it down, there's 120 episodes. That's not even counting the bonus material or the other, you know, toys and whatnot, cards that they put in the the, the, the set as well. Um, but it's 
you know, just taking those those 120 episodes um, and having them restored in a way that they look better than they ever have. I mean, you can't even tell me that the people in 1967 watching this saw it as clearly and as as beautifully colored as it is now. No, they weren't. They weren't broadcast in this quality. They were shot in this quality, but the uh, kind of the getting from from there to the TV screen, they lost resolution and clarity. That you know, they weren't on TVs looking this good back then, and they they haven't been on TV looking that good since. I mean, Me no, TV no. and other affiliates have been showing them in syndication. Uh, it's been in syndication since it went off the air in 1968, but. Um, so, I mean, we've always, it's always been around to watch. And, uh, you know, various, uh, folks, including myself, have a, uh, copy of the original, of the whole series that was uh, on DVD. But that. It's a very special import <coughs> yeah, set. Exactly. But, um, and that, you know, I mean, that was just broadcast quality, really, as well, from what. Well, no. Joining syndication. No, those. Is, well, is it um, you can the even set? See the TV tags at the bottom. So, well, what's funny is the oh, okay, okay. The one I've got is supposedly, and now granted, with these <clears throat> imports, you don't ever really know. But supposedly, the ones I have are the network masters, and they have the station countdown before the episode starts. Oh, that's cool. Those ones I have are, are not that in-depth. Okay, the ones the, I have somebody recorded off of, you know, a UHF channel back uh, in right. on, on beta and converted them to DVD <laughs> or something. So there's like uh, like fourth generation something, a uh, loss or whatever. But still, that was all we had. And, you know, I it, it's one of those things where, I, look, I do not uh, support, encourage, promote uh, privacy, uh, uh, privacy, piracy in any way uh but you know when when the, the the studios can't get their act together and are not releasing something i mean what's a guy to do you know well what and that's choice do you have you you and i have had a lot of conversations that we won't get into here about uh things like that and i i've had to settle you you've those those have been very revelatory for me, and I'm to the point now where if the company that owns the thing is not merchandising the thing, that's when I'll say, okay, well, I'll buy it. You know, I'll do an import or I'll buy, you know, a a, a thing with Batman on it if they're not, you know, if, if Warner Brothers stops doing that, because I'm sure they're going to stop putting Batman merchandise out sometime soon. <laughs> that's that's likely. <laughs> but uh, that that's my line now, is, is if those, you know, if they're not making the stuff, then, uh, you know, I, I'm not going to have scruples about it. And it really just came down to, you know, greed and stupidity. Um, Wired.com, Wired Magazine, has a, a fantastic article uh, on exactly why it's taken so long for Batman to come out in any sort of uh, home video digital um, format. And, and all the legal ramblings that have been going on and all that kind of stuff. And it's very, uh, interesting. I'm not gonna, you know, go over it now because quite frankly, it's, it's only interesting to a select few and it's full of, you know, it's too long, really. It's yeah. too, it's basically, basically too lengthy of a deal, an ordeal to, to go through, uh, line by line. So I, but I encourage everybody just go to wired.com and click, you know, just, 
do Batman in the search and I'm sure it'll pop up as a, as a column, but I encourage people to read it because it's kind of interesting. I mean, the, the fact that, you know, it's to its popular, it's to its credit how popular the show was that everybody knew that once it was released in a home video format, it would make money. So they, you know, DC and Warner Brothers and Fox and, and, uh, I think it's, um, uh, was it Green? I, and I just, uh, uh, the producers of it is, is Greenway. Yeah, Greenway. Um, they all were just arguing back and forth and some others that had no involvement that you would think of, uh, were just arguing back and forth over the rights and who has the, you know, rights to do this and that and the other thing. So we got a tease and I think there was a big push for it and we got some indications last year when DC Warner Brothers started releasing Batman 66 merchandise, Batman 66 toys, Batman 66 comics. And we thought, okay, this must mean that it's coming soon. Right. Sure enough, boom. It's, uh, we've got it now in our hands and in our DVRs and in our Blu-ray players. Well, and think about how wild it is. I mean, I, I can't imagine a whole lot of media, you know, television shows or movies that multiple parties might be involved in that one or the other wouldn't just say, uh, you know what, give me this amount of money and go for it. Because, I mean, look at even now, and granted, we don't know any of the details of this, but if I had to bet money on it, I would say that Spider-Man is going to end up in the Marvel Cinematic Universe in some form. Uh, you know what makes me think that that's not a sure thing? Well, I, I, if I had, I, I don't think it's a sure thing, <laughs> no, no, but I'm, if I had to put money one way or the other, I would put it on him being in it. Right, and the reason that I wouldn't is because of this series and the stuff that's happened and how long it's taken us to get this on here. Now, eventually it happened, but, you know, I, I thought, you know, and Spider-Man is another one that is, you know, you just mentioned the name and it's, it's money. So, uh, I, I don't, you know, certainly concessions can be made, but, you know, when it comes to this kind of thing, I've seen it happen with this series where, you know, they just two companies, just mainly two, but there's mm -hmm. some others involved as well, but mainly two companies just could not come together on terms and they didn't really matter. It wasn't, they weren't, they weren't thinking about the fans at all. No, no. So, um, you know, and at that kind of behavior, I felt, you know, justified in obtaining, you know, something that I could watch, um, a complete set that I could watch. Now, once they announced that they were releasing a official version, I jumped all over it. And, and that's the way I still think, you know, it should be done. Uh, and, and I'm glad, and there's, you know, I'm glad I did because there's so many benefits because let's face it, this set, these, these Blu-rays look absolutely gorgeous. I mean, eye candy, uh, for adults. Well, you, I mean, you, you can see the weave of the costumes. You can see all kinds of details that were never apparent before. I never, cool. yeah. Look oh, oh the, yeah. The blues and purples and everything that's happening with his cow. Visually, Batman has never looked better. You can see his, his, his and Robin's costumes change over the course of the seasons in ways that I never noticed before and granted i am scrutinizing these now in a way that i never have but things like the bat symbol 
the texture of it changing, Robin's gloves change, uh, Robin's mask changes, all of this stuff. The Joker. I never knew that shirt was a tuxedo shirt with the, the, um, not the frills, but it's got the, uh, pleats in right. the front. Never noticed that before. Even the black stripes on his pants have never been as clear as they are here. His mustache stands out in a glorious way. But yes, and in a way, and you know, some of the, some of the things to its detriment, I mean, the stuntmen and the replacement of that and all that <laughs> sort of thing, that is, I mean, really obvious. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you know, even though it's been considered a flaw of the show, and I'll grant it, you know, it's not ideal, the, the fact of the matter is in 60, when they were making shows for the 60s, I mean, they had no idea, no idea that there was going to be a rewatch factor. That oh no, were no! Be able to pause and slow motion and and watch it in such detail. And I mean, they just were trying to get the show done in week to week basis. So I, I don't, I give them a lot of leeway. And you know what? It doesn't matter. It's still, it's still Batman. <laughs> so well, and you and I talk about this all the time. Think about the fact that this is only three years after the debut of Doctor Who. And the differences and the similarities in these two shows. And, and what's important to me or what's mind boggling to me is that this is, this is made at a time when I think television was just, I mean, I hate to sound like the old man going, you know, in my day, <laughs> but really, like when I think back on the shows that were being made at this time, some of my favorite TV shows of all time in America, which are uh, Star Trek, uh, The Addams Family, uh, Get Smart, uh, not to mention other shows that uh, I enjoy as well that were just so fantastic, uh, Bewitched. I Dream of Genie, uh, Lost in Space, um, and it goes on and on and on. There were tons of these shows being churned out by the networks, things that you just don't see now. I mean, it's when they say that the TV landscape is different, they're just not, you know, it's 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 not just uh, whistling Dixie because the the studios don't take near as many chances, and I think audiences demand. Uh, Demand more reality. Demand less stylization. Well, every single show that you just named had a sense of wonder and an innocence and, and a, a, a genuineness or an earnestness. Like they all, they're all self-aware, but at the same time, it's not in a, in a jaded way, they are what they are. You can look at the actors and tell that, I don't know, it's a whole different presentation. I mean, they're acting. This is almost like watching a play, which is another thing we've talked about with Doctor Who before. It, it's not gritty and real. It's not people that are, are trying to express the real world. They're, in, in all of those instances... They're in a different reality from ours, and that I love that. Yeah, I I know we're gonna probably hopefully talk more about the acting later. But one thing I do want to say is that I'm when I'm rewatching this series now, uh, I love the fact that uh, these established actors uh, embrace these roles, and they don't you don't get any sense of them 
You don't get any sense of them. You don't get any right. sense of Cesar Romero going, eh, I'm just doing this. They're not, they're not being snarky or, no. or, or anything. No. They, they love embrace it. Embrace this like it's Shakespeare. Yes. Yes. I mean, you don't see Cesar Romero. You don't see Burgess Meredith. You don't see Frank Gorshwin. I mean, you see the Riddler, the Penguin, the Joker. They, it's, they just embrace it so much and they give it its all and they get it. I mean, they all knew writing, directing, acting. They knew what they were doing. This is yeah. a comedy, but has to be played straight. And that's, uh, and another thing I keep mentioning Doctor Who, and that's because I want our listeners to check out our other podcast, Earth Station Who on the ESO network. Um, but, but again, it's a similar thing where you've got these big names who, you know, do these big serious movies and then come here to play and you get the sense that this is, this is their fun time. So in a certain way, it's getting what's best of them. It really feels because of the way the sets are, um, and the, the car and everything like that, the props, they're like giant toys. Like this is a giant, uh, playhouse and these serious actors or comedic actors or all these actors that come to, to play, they're just playing and they are, uh, playing, playing dress up, playing superhero, playing bad guy. And they're doing it so well and they're in so involved with it. They get to just, you know, leave all that other stuff at the door yes, and, and just have a good time playing for an hour or so. And, and we get to watch and jump, jumping through breakaway tables and throwing giant boxes with question marks at each other. And, and I mean the, you know, the fight scenes, I, I, when I was a kid, and it's funny. This is uh, let's before we get too much deeper. I want to talk a little bit about our our initial experiences with the show. When I was a kid, I watched these fight scenes, and they were fight scenes. They were dramatic, serious. You know, I I didn't think about how hilarious it was when Batman and Robin did a dosey do and each kicked one of the bad guys on a turnaround. I thought, oh, that was awesome. That must be a very effective crime fighting technique. And and like, I knew the show was colorful and bright and fun, but it worked on a completely different level for me, being you know five, six, seven years old. And watching it. And this is, this is literally the first show that I remember watching. Uh, me and my dad would catch it whenever it came on. And I couldn't tell you when it was on because this would have been late seventies, early eighties. Uh, which, you know what? Now that I think about it, I was probably three years old because my very first toys that I remember were also, uh, the Mego world's greatest superheroes, uh, Batman and Robin figures, which were not necessarily intended to be from the show, but were certainly playing off of the look of the show. And to me, they were the Batman and Robin from the show. Cause that's the Batman and Robin that I knew. But I mean, th- this was such a huge thing to me when I was a kid. And then to look at it now on a whole other level, 
and being able to appreciate the fun that these guys are having and all the work that went into the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it is a comedy and it is camp, but these sets are gorgeous. The costumes are beautiful. And now, you know, like we we're talking about earlier, you can see some of the flaws in, in certain things, but it's not for lack of effort. It's for lack of foresight. Or sometimes just lack of uh, money sure, or, sure. you know, whatever. But I think you're right. I think the DVDs and the Blu-rays, the digital copies now, we can look at it and go, hey, that's not just a backdrop behind them. Right. Oh, my God, that's a full-fleshed set. Yeah, they uh, built that that <laughs> uh, potato factory or or yes. gigantic cup of coffee. The, the, the thing that's really struck me in going back and watching these, and, I mean, I've, I've watched them from time to time over the years, but uh I remember with absolute clarity almost every single death trap from the second season. I would watch the episodes because I've been watching them with my son. Uh we, we spent about a week right after Christmas watching them, and, and we've been doing it on and off since then as we've had time. But – you know, we'll watch the episodes and I'll be like, oh, this is an Egghead one, which Egghead is one one of my favorites because he's Vincent Price. Sure. But uh when it got to the death trap at the cliffhanger, I'm talking a jolt of just pure nostalgia and crystal clear sitting in front of the big wood grain TV that sat on the floor and had the dials on it playing with my Mego figures. Uh, just every single death trap in the second season, I just totally remember, even if I don't remember the episode that, that precedes it. It's it's amazing what what this is bringing back. That that's actually pretty cool. I I I don't. Uh, I was. It's funny because I think I, I'm I was older than you when I first was introduced. I mean, I didn't. You know, I wasn't old enough to see them. As a matter of fact, the show was canceled uh, in January of the year that I was born. So obviously, I didn't get to see these in prime time. But uh, like you, I saw them in syndication. Uh, I do know that, or I do remember that they were on, uh, daily. They were on weekdays. Um, uh, and I saw a lot of the shows that I enjoyed, uh, on syndication then too. Star Trek and, like I said, The Addams Family and all that kind of stuff. Um, but, uh, I remember, I remember watching them and being, uh, just enthralled by them. Uh, Batman is still my number one hero and mainly because of this series i mean obviously it was the popularity of the series uh made him uh made his comics uh changed his comics as well mm-hmm. uh and he became more popular in comics uh he became a, a figure that you always had to have in animation uh there was batman and robin cartoons there was the Just- of course he was in the super friends et cetera, et let's cetera. let's so, talk I mean, about that real quick you mentioned it changed the comics uh i know that your familiarity with Batman comics over the decades is is much greater than mine is, but were they really? I, I I feel that they did get campier. I have a sense that they got campier after the show, but were they really that straightforward before the show? 
Um, it depends. Now, you know, the, last year was Batman's 75th anniversary. We covered a lot of, uh, that, uh, some of the eras in, uh, on ESO last year. And, uh, we even had, uh, one of our, my favorite art, one of my favorite things we did last year is we had Michael Uslan on, who is the producer. He basically owns the film rights to Batman. Yes. So if you make a Batman movie, you have to have Michael involved. And, and he was on and, it was really interesting because he was around, he was alive, uh, when the show aired and he hated it. Absolutely. Hated <laughs> oh, wow. The, this show. And from his perspective, he was used to, I mean, he grew up with Batman of the forties and fifties, uh, who was a dark character, the one that was created by Bob Kane and written by Bill Finger and had Jerry Robinson and all that team on it. Uh, doing, and it, you know, this was a Batman in the forties that, you know, uh, was at night. Uh, he was a, you know, he, he had a gun, he shot people, he killed sure. people. Sure. You know, he did all these, and he, he was really a dark knight then. Um, back in the fifties, it kind of lightened up a bit and he started, uh, because of the fifties were the fifties, they started, hey, he started having more science fiction adventures, interacting with other superheroes, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And it wasn't downright camp, but it was, Probably silly lighter, right? Than in the comic tone than what he was used to growing up in the forties was. So when they made this show and it was completely camp and a, and a, basically a comedy, uh, Michael was really upset. I mean, he was uh, this was not his Batman, and and there are still a lot of Batman fans who cannot. Oh yeah, the yeah. Show not only because of it was created, but because it was so popular. That to this day, you know, um, people people think of it. Uh, you know, whenever there's a headline for something that's bat related, they have to do the like right, you know, right, blank Batman, and, and and they have to do the pow, bit, sure, bam, you know, kind of stuff. Um, in 1989, when they made when Tim Burton made this movie, uh, when made the the first like serious right. Batman movie or whatever. I remember there was a big push for Adam West. I remember Batman. that as People. well. And uh, didn't he even campaign for that? Oh, okay, he okay. Did, personally. Well, I don't know. I mean, maybe maybe he did knowing Adam, but um my my understanding is that he, it, it was more of a movement from other people that wanted to and, and you know, when they eventually hired um another comedian, you know, Michael Keaton, they were kind of like, "What? You know, this is that's crazy. Why would they do a, why would they hire a comedian when they've already got Adam? So there was, um, you know, it wasn't until everybody saw the movie that they realized, yeah, um, that it probably wouldn't have worked with Adam. But even to this day, there's still this contingent of, of, you know, we like dark Batman. We like, uh, light Batman. We like dark Batman. Cause this is very different. Even though the origins are the same, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, I don't think we hardly ever see Batman at night. On this show, uh, he operates pretty much by the day and by day. There's a few times where he and Robin go out at night to do things, but mostly they're daytime. I didn't uh, realize that. Uh, I, I watched several when I got home tonight, and I didn't realize what you just said until uh, there's a season two episode with Catwoman. And it's actually one of the stronger memories because it's the one where she sticks them in the giant cup of coffee that's sulfuric acid and yep. it's at night 
and they're going up the side of the building at night. And I, I realized I was like, holy cow, we don't ever see this. This is weird. Yeah. 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 You're right. You're right. Yeah. So, um, you know, so I was very surprised when Michael told us that in the interview and I could kind of see his point. Had I come, had I come at it from his angle, uh, I might have felt the same way when this, sure. when this show was released, but. I, I was not. I came at it as, you know, this show was done and finished. This show ended before I was even born. So here I am, this little kid, clicking through the channels, and boom, there's this guy. And it's it's a superhero, live action. He's fighting supervillains. He's not just fighting some right. guy or... Some he, he's fighting Victor Buono in a multicolored feather cape. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, and they're having fight scenes, choreographed fight scenes. Uh, he's got a young sidekick. Uh, you know, he's got the beautiful women. It just, everything was the colors. I mean, it's so, like I said, the yeah. eye candy. You cannot look away. Um, and even more so now with the, uh, with the digital release. Uh, so, uh, and I, you know, I got into the Super Friends, I got into Batman comics, and I, you know, when I read the Batman comics, it's funny because I don't remember ever thinking, wow, this mm-hmm. is different than the show. Um, it just, what, because, here's the beauty of the Batman 60s show. They played it so straight that if you're a kid, you no, can't I couldn't tell the difference. I, I certainly couldn't. Um, now as you get older, you can see the difference. But I think when you're a kid, they play it. The, the the scripts are so straightforward as as much as you know, as much as the comics are, that you really don't see that there's, you know. Now I think it's a little different now with the darkness and how how you know violent some of the comics are now. So there would be this sort of like, oh my goodness. But back then there wasn't. It wasn't as. You know what would be a funny thing to see, uh, or maybe a depressing thing to see, depending on how you're looking at it. Uh, if somebody. If, if, if one of these video editing geniuses cut together a Batman 66 fight scene only if it were in the new 52 and had like blood and severed limbs flying around and, and uh, it, it would, <laughs> it would be a different thing. It would um, be a very different thing. Um, I think though that both having an interest in both of these growing up and, and being attracted to both of these types of stories and they were all Batman really has allowed me through the course of my life to appreciate different incarnations, different versions, different uh, interpretations of the character and just embrace them because I, I have, you know, I, I, I mean, look, I like continuity as much as the next guy, but if, you know, if they want to do something different with him, I'm like, well, let's see what that's like because I've seen him. He works on so many. Well, levels. and here, here's something that I, I don't think I've ever really discussed publicly. I might have written about it on the site, but, uh, I went through a phase when, when the 1989 Batman came out where I would not have anything to do with this show where I was way into the dark Frank Millery Batman and I didn't like silly Batman and I was 13 years old at the time. So of course I was in a very serious stage of my life where everything was serious and, mm-hmm. and feelings were serious. Uh, 
so I, I went several years where I did not appreciate this show. And, you know, I felt like Batman. So, so you did. Yeah, I loved it when I was a kid. Uh, probably, I probably didn't honestly think a whole lot about Batman as a character from maybe 84 or 5 until 89. Uh, I think I had a few comics that I picked up every now and then because one of the first comic books I bought was a Batman comic, uh, and it just confused the shit out of me because it was an issue with Hugo Strange's ghost haunting somebody. or like it. Even reading it today, I'm like, what is going on here? So... I know exactly what story you're talking about, which I, which I, well, and I, I need the rest of it. it. The interesting thing is I bought, uh, I, I would say, cause I'm narrowing down that time frame. I would say I would have been nine or 10 years old and I was up in North Carolina and my papa let me pick out, or he gave me some money to pick out stuff from the store we were in and they had a spinner rack of comics and I bought an uncanny X-Men I bought a Batman and I bought a Swamp Thing. And obviously Swamp Thing was inappropriate for me. Uh, the Uncanny X-Men, real, that's the one that got me. Even though Batman was my guy, really. And I didn't even know who the X-Men were. I bought it because of the monster on the cover. It was the one with uh, Wolverine turning into the brood. And... okay. Though, like, but, but I bought those comics and the Batman one is the only one that, like, just did not make a lick of sense. Cause I didn't know what the story was. Uh, Joker or King Tut or False Face weren't in it. I didn't know <laughs> what was going on. Uh, so other, fr- uh, aside from picking up a comic from time to time, Batman wasn't a huge factor in my life for four or five years when it was all about G.I. Joe and Transformers and all the big cartoons of the 80s. Like the, those were the things. And then in 1989, the huge merchandising push because that, you know, Tim Burton's Batman, I, I still love it. I still think Michael Keaton is the best quote unquote serious Batman. Uh, or he's still my favorite anyway, but that movie is not what the phenomena is. The phenomena is the marketing push that Warner Brothers put behind that movie. All of the merchandising, the massive billboards all over the place with just the bat symbol on them. Didn't even have pictures of Michael Keaton and Jack Nicholson. Just that big golden bat symbol. So in 1989, there was no way Batman wasn't coming back into my awareness. Uh, yeah, I mean, the... the 89 show had as big a push, if not bigger, than the marketing push that followed oh, yeah. this series. Uh, this series, I mean, also paved the way for uh, tons of marketing as far as superheroes goes. And it really, if, because I don't think, um, prior to this TV series, I don't think Batman was considered the, like, as big of a, um, superstar superhero. Well, I think Superman was the guy prior to that. I I believe you're right. Um, I I do know that prior to this series in the 60s, uh, Batman's uh, sales were very low. Uh, I think they were going to cancel. I don't... 
I've heard that they were going to. Can- I've heard some, you know, speculate, uh, whatever internet stuff that said yeah, they I've, were going to cancel. I've it. heard they that same thing. All the books. I don't know if that's true. I think they might have been canceling. He had two books, Detective and and Batman, and I think they might have been thinking about canceling at least one of them because this. Or maybe they. Or maybe they were going to put uh, somebody else in Detective. Now that we're talking about it, that uh, I think possible. I've heard that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, for whatever reason, I mean, basically, bottom line is he was not, you know, superheroes basically in the 50s sure. were kind of out of vogue anyway. So, um, but you're right. Prior to that, Superman was the guy. And this is before the big Marvel revolution yeah. stuff as well. So, uh, I think, you know, this series all of a sudden put Batman on him on the map in a way that he hadn't been on before and he's been ever since. Uh, you know, it seems like something comes along every decade, whether it's TV show, movie, graphic novel, storyline, what have you, that all of a sudden makes Batman like, oh, my God, he's huge again. <laughs> like, you know. Yeah, it's. And I think that will continue. I mean, I think he's just one of those characters that uh, it certainly resonates with me uh, as a very uh, cool uh, intelligent character. And you get to see elements of that in the series. I mean, it's not all just, you know, comedy fun stuff. Like I said, they are playing it straight. So there's a lot of detective work, even though some of it really doesn't make <laughs> a lot of sense. But, uh, uh, and he's a straight arrow. He doesn't kill anybody. I well, mean, he, he is essentially somebody. Superman in this show. He is always, the paragon of virtue. There is no ambiguity whatsoever. Uh, he he always does the one hundred percent moral thing. Yeah, to the extent that even if it's you know how many times is he you know he can't he can't right. run a red uh, and he lets the guys get away or. You know, they're about to take off and follow and pursue the bad guys, but Robin doesn't have his seatbelt on, so he has to wait until Robin, until Robin. One of my favorite things that I've, I've noticed in the show, in, in revisiting it here that I, I didn't remember, uh, you know, we, we've got a lot of, of episodes where they use the parachute on the Batmobile, the drag chute. Well, there is actually a Batmobile parachute cleanup crew that they show to avoid having Batman litter on the highway. He pops the drag chute, does his thing, drives off, and then this van with Batmobile parachute cleanup crew on the side drives out into the road and picks up the parachute. I mean, that's the extent to which... They they took his his absolute rightness in all things. Yeah, and and I really think it's to the writers, directors, and certainly Adam West's credit. I mean, you know, I, Adam West is one of those actors uh, like uh, much like William Shatner or Tom Baker, who kind of, in my opinion, get a lot of flack for quote not being able to act uh, unquote. Um, but really. Um, I can't think of too many other actors out there who could have played Batman as well as he does. And and for those people who maybe don't understand what I'm talking about, uh, if you watch any of these episodes, he plays it so... His delivery is such that he's playing it straight, and yet he's also kind of winking to the audience at the same time. Like, 
it's like he can take a line that instead, you know, and, and, and make it so that on one level, he's just basically saying one thing. Uh, but on another level, he's, he's like kind of just laughing at, you know, he, he gets the comedy and he's, and he's, and he's making it entertaining. Well, what's, for the what's interesting, well. and I, I don't, I feel like winking at the audience isn't quite right. You, you get this, right. he, no, know. he knows what he, he's doing. He's not a fool. But there is so much earnestness behind. Nobody could deliver a line. That, you know, no time for compliments, Robin. We must thwart some criminals to the Batmobile. Nobody's ever going to say that as well as he does. No. Ever. No. And it's a silly thing to say. He said thwart. Nobody says thwart. But Adam West did, and he meant it, and you bought it. Yeah, and, and he's not the only one doing that. Uh, I right. think Neil Hamilton nails it as Commissioner Gordon. Um, he is, you know, every episode. Because back then we also have to realize that um, back then nobody, they didn't have syndication. Nobody had DVRs. Nobody had uh, D- VCRs even. Nobody ever could record this. So if you missed it, you missed it. And and a lot of, you know, television wasn't uh, required viewing by any means uh, in in the public lexicon. So... You had to, you know, kind of just watch it when you watched it, that kind of thing. And, and, and yet, and so every episode was somebody's first. Yes. Um, and so every time, you know, the, the, a lot of times, even in a half hour show, you kind of had to go out of your way to explain to people, okay, this is how this works. The, um, the police department is the police, utterly the, helpless. Yeah, it's the police department <laughs> seems so incompetent. And mainly it's because, at least in the first season, uh, every single episode, at least the first episode, starts with something happening, and then Gordon and O'Hara looking at the looking at the other people in the office, going, "Yeah, this is this is something we can't handle." Immediately, immediately, not even trying. It's not like they go, "Well, let's see if we can get him, and if we get into a tight spot, you know, we'll call Batman." It's more like it's the Catwoman. And- and I love the ones where he like looks at like there's like four guys in the office. And yeah, just Gordon standing. Every one of them, he's like, "So, any of you men up to this challenge?" And they all like just nobody says anything. Right, right. Because contractually they can't because they're extras. But right. In any case, no sag cards for them. He looks at him and says, "You know, any of you want to go up against the Riddler? How about you, Officer? You know, Chumley or whatever?" And they just say no. They don't say anything. And yeah. then they all look at the phone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's awesome. I, I actually it, – it, this is perfect because I actually, in anticipation of this discussion, I've got some quotes pulled up from the show. And I want to deliver my absolute favorite uh, Commissioner Gordon quote. <laughs> uh, this is from an, an Egghead episode. And Batman and Robin are – or excuse me, Bruce and Dick – are off on vacation. And this is Gordon's reaction to calling on the bat phone and being told that Batman and Robin are unavailable. Oh, catastrophic, unprecedented Batman and Robin, not available. You know what this means, don't you? If you're thinking what I'm afraid you're thinking precisely chief O'Hara, the moment we've dreaded for years has arrived. 
This time, we're going to have to solve a case ourselves. <laughs> they, they, they straight up said... In this television show, the commissioner of police has been sitting around for years dreading the moment where they would have to do some work. <laughs> and the guy, and what that's what's so beautiful about this show is the people that wrote that dialogue knew exactly what they were doing. They knew they were writing some of the funniest lines that had ever been on television. Um, Commissioner, the, the actors knew that they were delivering some of the funniest lines. I don't know how you say that stuff without cracking up. Oh, I, I mean, don't either. I mean, they're obviously they're professionals, they're actors, it's what they do, but my gosh, that exchange is incredible. Well, but yes, or how you can even say some of that stuff without, you know, and yeah, you're right. I was wrong in saying that uh, it, it, it like he's winking to the audience because they're not. Well, they're, I know I know what you mean. They're saying they're saying it in a way that they are very earnest about it. But there's this also this comedic timing yes. that they're using as well. Yes. So that it is you know they're they're not just you know they're not. I'm not, you're not getting this confused with like one of the, uh, George Reeves Superman shows where, I mean, they were very earnest about it. That was not a comedy. That right. was an action show. And, you know, I mean, Superman was done, da da. Of course, Jimmy, you know, and, 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 but this stuff, I mean, that they're at being asked to say it is, you know, you know, what a way to go go is just like ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it's so, um, yeah, and it, it takes it takes real actors to be able to do that convincingly, um, and, and to be able to play around with that and not and not give up the joke. Because if it if there is an element of snark there, if there is an element of of oh you know we we know that this is beneath us or whatever, then guess what? We all tune out. Right, it falls apart at that point. Yes, because how many times have we seen a show that's trying to be funny? Yes. And it's not funny. There's a difference between being funny and trying to be funny. That's why uh, I and and I, I know probably 97 percent of the people in the world don't agree with me on this, but that's why I absolutely adored the Cape. And oh yeah, right. Mm -hmm. Because now, granted, it was it was bloodier and it was grittier, but I felt like it was sort of the modern successor to to the Adam West Batman show because they knew it was silly. They knew Vinnie Jones walking around with alligator scales on his face was silly. They knew this guy with an anthropomorphic cape was silly. But they played everything straight uh, in, in a way that, for me, worked. I mean, I, I really thoroughly enjoyed that show, and I, I think... I, I don't know where, I don't know if it would ever really work with any kind of modern audience, but, uh, I, I think they did something really neat for, for a season. It's very, it saddens me that, uh, to think that it, that we couldn't get something like this now. Right. Um, that people, and, that and people didn't get it or didn't want to, didn't want to play along. Would not understand or realize it or appreciate it or whatever. Right. So, uh, I, I don't know. I mean, you know, I mean, when I look at, that's why I'm saying, and that's why I was saying earlier in the sixties, there was this just wave of inventive, wondrous shows. 
and that now when you look at the polit- that the TV landscape, you're th- and, I, and I'm thinking, wow, that's you know, you look at these shows and and there are some really really good shows on. Oh yeah, so absolutely. I'm not, not distant television at all. Yeah, right yeah. Now. But you know, I mean, how many of them are capable of doing something like this? I mean, how many? You know, if if you went to a network and said, I want to make a show about a guy, an Air Force pilot who finds a bottle and it has a genie in it. And that genie will grant wishes and they'll have adventures on a half hour, like weekly basis. They'd be like, uh, that's just not going to work. Right. Um, or, or Bewitched or the Adams family or, you know, let alone something like Batman. Well, and um, here's, uh, here's another thing that, that for, for me in particular, a topic that I've been looking at over the last several years, how many shows are there that a family can watch together and enjoy? Ugh, that's yeah. You're uh, yeah. I don't. I think that that day is just. It's gone. That family viewing stuff, and now with moving things like Constantine to eight o'clock, I'm just kind of like, wow. The the the, the eight o'clock slot is no longer because I can remember shows like. I mean, that's even my day back in the seventies and eighties. That was like Little House on the Prairie. Sure. That was Happy Days. That was, I mean, you didn't even dare put anything before nine o'clock that was something that wasn't family oriented. Well, I, I remember the, the whole selling point of, uh, what was it? NYPD Blue? Wasn't that the first one that got really racy in what's considered primetime? Yeah, but even that was at 10. Okay. Okay. I was thinking it was at nine, but I do remember even at 10 o'clock, that show, its selling point was what won't we do? Yeah, 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 absolutely. So uh, I get you. I mean, back then, family viewing happened. Uh, I mean, that was a requirement. Yes. Uh, so I definitely, uh, and I love the aspect of that too. Now, uh, I have to give a lot of credit to uh, one of my favorite writers in television and movies uh, for helping develop this show right from the beginning. And that was Lorenzo Semple Jr. Who went on to also script uh, one of my favorite movies, which is the 1980 version of Flash Gordon. Oh yes. And, and doesn't that click? Oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> doesn't that go? Okay. That's, that's why that. Works. Absolutely. I think it's the same kind of humor. It's the same kind of fun adventure humor. Ernest. That Ernest. I, I love so much, but it's just not, uh, around anymore. So, uh, and that's sad, but I, I, I think that, you know, hopefully there will be, you know, everything comes and goes to waves. And so hopefully somebody will be able to, uh, bring it back in some format. But in the meantime, it's great that we have this set and as beautiful as it is, uh, you know, I think, I think even that, it took, you know, when, when I watch it and I'm getting, you know, I'm watching them now and I've, I'm about done the first season, but I know enough of the show to know that through the course of the second season and certainly into the third season and when it kind of falls apart, uh, the third season especially because NBC wanted them to stop being twice a week. Yeah. So the, the cliffhanger is gone. Uh, the because they felt that um, they felt that people couldn't remember from week to week. Well, and and this this is a good point for me to bring this up because I wasn't sure. Uh, 
I remember in watching it in syndication, I feel like I never saw the second episode of any of them. I can very clearly remember, and, and I don't know that if, if it's that I didn't get to watch them every day or if it's that the broadcasters just didn't care about how they were broadcasting them or what the deal was. But, uh, I remember seeing the cliffhanger and never getting resolution. Like that's my predominant feeling. And I'm sure every once in a while I saw that second episode or whatever, but, but overall that, that, that sort of, memory that I have overall is being frustrated by never seeing the follow-up episode. Yeah, that was crazy when I was growing up. It was I saw it in syndication, so it was the same way, and it feel like they never really aired them uh, like back-to-back in order or something because I... There was one in particular uh, from the second season that the Joker did where uh, they're all going to be eaten by a giant clam. Yes, and, and and Robin is the first to go, and you just see his little Robin yeah. legs yeah, yeah, yeah. out of the plant. That image haunted me for decades because I never saw the second half. The one, the one that got me like that was the one. Uh, I think this is Catwoman again. For some reason, I seem to remember Catwoman episodes more than others. I don't know why. But Batman and Robin are strapped to grills with giant magnifying glasses over them. That's the one that haunts me because it ends with them sweating and struggling and like the laser like light of the sun starting to come down. That one is the one that's stuck in my head is like, what happened? How did they get out of that? Let's, uh, let's talk about the, the guest. Villains who who were labeled as guest villains, which I love. Oh yeah. Um. Yep. I mentioned Egghead earlier, who just because it's Vincent Price, because I, I even as a kid, you know, my grandmother had had introduced me to horror movies at an early age, maybe not three. Like I probably saw Vincent Price as Egghead before I saw him in anything else. At least I certainly hope so. Uh but even as Egghead, he kind of resonated with me. And then years later, seeing him in in the movies, I just love Vincent Price. He, and he's he's probably uh, Joker, Riddler, Catwoman, like the big ones. Egghead's probably my favorite that's not one of the big ones. Right. Out of the big ones, it's it's a really tough call. As a kid, I know that Riddler was my favorite because Frank Gorshin was so over the top and the, you know, the, the bright green tights and he always had, you know, every villain had a plan. That was the gimmick of the show. But to me, Riddler seemed like the one that was just totally maniacal and evil. He really seemed like the one that was out for blood. And as I'm older now, I find that Burgess Meredith as Penguin is really, I don't know if his stories are the best or if he's just so delightful to watch. 
Uh, but I find myself really liking the Penguin episodes. Well, Burgess is just so solid that uh, and he's just wonderful, uh, especially to take a character like Penguin, who traditionally speaking seems to be the silliest of the three. So. Sure. Well, and the least the least sure. gimmicky, too. Yeah, the least gimmicky, but also uh, the least likely to be able to kick Batman's yeah, ass. Yeah, yeah. Uh, just because, you know, he's this short, you know, stocky guy uh, and usually uh, overweight, etc. So, um, yeah, I, I've always enjoyed Burgess, uh, Burgess Meredith as uh, the Penguin. I've uh, my favorite growing up was always the Joker. Uh, Cesar Romero uh, just was uh, fun to watch. Uh, I don't think I ever really had a fear of clowns, mm-hmm. but yet there was something even in that makeup. Even if I couldn't, when I was young, acknowledge the mustache. <laughs> sure, sure. Um, with, were, okay, uh, did you have a moment in your adult life where you were shocked to realize he had a mustache? Um, Probably. I don't think it was. I think shocked is maybe overstating it, but I was like, oh. Okay. Yeah. Uh, wow. I don't believe I didn't know. Yeah. That. Yeah. Yeah. I, I absolutely had that. And I don't remember exactly when it occurred, but, uh, I, I remember a, how have I gone my whole life without knowing that? Without realizing that. <laughs> right. Yeah, Cause it's, yeah. no, it's, it's so apparent, you know, once you go back and watch it. And for all those people out there who are listening that, you know, they were like, oh, really? I noticed that when I was a kid. Yeah, screw you. Um, well, one, I don't yes. believe those people. Because <laughs> <laughs> I run across them all the time. It's like, oh, I got the joke when I was, you know. No, cute. you didn't. Uh, so that's yeah, that's nonsense. Um, and and <laughs> I wasn't quite there yet. So and, and you know what? I'm still in a lot of ways. Not there. Uh, <laughs> and never so. hope to be. <laughs> exactly. I never want to be that kid. Um, um, so Joker was always my favorite and, and I'll tell you what, I was watching, uh, one of the, uh, Joker episodes, uh, this weekend and, oh God is his costume is gorgeous. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I don't, I've seen cosplays of, you know, all the characters mm-hmm. now from that show and yet I don't know if I've ever seen it put together as well as it is on the show. I mean, his, And that is, to me, through all the incarnations and variations of the Jokers that we've gotten since then, some of them have been quite brilliant. There's just something to that that tux with the pinstripe uh, trousers and the... uh, and the and the dress shoes and the and the the tail the the coat with tails and and the bow tie and just in the long the long face uh, with the red yeah. lips and and yeah. green hair and it just uh, you know to me it's like that is whenever someone says Joker that's the one I think of uh, and. Uh, and yeah, I thought most of the the episodes that he's in, uh, I'm finding when I'm rewatching them are the ones that I remember the most. Some of the penguins, I'm really appreciating Frank Gorshwin a lot more now. I, I it's not that I ever disliked him, but he's just maniac, uh, manic uh, in his performance. Yeah, he's he's uh, almost more jokery than Romero. In some ways, I think he's closer. To what we feel like the Joker is now, 
than uh than the Joker was then. Like he's insane. He wants nothing. It seems like he wants nothing but then to but to kill uh Batman and Robin. Right. In, in the most gruesome way possible. Uh he certainly seems to be the most dangerous. Because uh, you don't know what he's going to say, do uh, he lashes out at everybody? Um, he's just—he's uh, got that crazy eye uh, that is hard. You know, he's been a hard one to define uh, in the comics because they just—you know—since they already have the Joker, they're kind of not really sure what to do with the Riddler. So he's had a lot of different incarnations, a lot of different storylines in the comics, and varied from usage to usage but here he's you know frank gorshwin is is the riddler yeah yeah he he really embraces that role uh and and then from the i guess you'd consider in the primary villains you have catwoman who julie newmar is just i i i want to be respectful of her as a human being <laughs> but damn <laughs> my gosh dude she, I, I read, uh, I read that originally the producers wanted Suzanne Plachette to play her. And, uh, I love Suzanne Plachette. But thank God that didn't happen. Yeah, yeah. Because I don't think Suzanne would have been able to pull it off as much as, uh, because Ju- Ju- there's a quirkiness to the actress. Yes. That, that she, you know, gives, brings to the role of Catwoman. And even, I just watched the first episode with her the other day. And first of all, she's the only villain so far that seems to get this big intro, like this big, like you can't, you don't see her for a while, right, right, until she's introduced in a quite like she, spectacular. Fashion. She gets the reveal off there. There are tons of episodes where the villain is in like the opening scene. Oh yeah, doing yeah. their thing. The I was shocked. I was shocked. Joker, he's in jail. <laughs> I was shocked by. uh the Green Hornet episode, and this would never happen in television today. The episode where the Green Hornet and Kato guest starred, they're the opening scene. There's no reveal. There's no buildup. They're just, bam, they're in Gotham City, mm-hmm. it, which is shocking. Yeah. It, I, what shocks me, and I think a lot of other people, too, is that first season, you think, oh, we're going to see the origins. We're going to see it's the first time. that No, they act like from the very first episode, they make it clear that... Batman's been fighting these guys for a long time. Yes. Yes. The every <laughs> every time, oh, it's it's Joker again. Oh, it's False Face again. Yep, it's just another adventure, you know, it's just they've gotten out, you know, right. since the last time you caught them. And right. it, it confuses you because you're kind of like, "Wait, did I miss something?" Uh, but you know, they just didn't feel the need to to waste time with their origins and doing all that nonsense. They which just is, said, "Let's let's do it." Which is kind of fantastic because I mean, that's one of the things that gets a little tiresome about movies and television these days is having to, you know, we all know who Batman is and why he's Batman. We, we don't need that every single time. That's why I liked, uh, Batman Brave and the Bold. Mm-hmm. The, they just started. They just kicked it off. We know Batman. We know all the villains. Let's do this. Yes. Yeah, it's 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 very refreshing and quite cool. In fact, uh the first time I, w- I was really surprised, the first time we get a female villain, it's not Catwoman. Right. It's um uh, Di- uh Olga. Sorba the Great or what is it? Oh wait, uh, no, that's right. It wasn't Olga. It was uh it's a uh, Z- Zelga the Great. 
And and when they find out that it's a a woman committing the crimes, Robin said something. It says something like, you know, holy catnip, Batman! It's Catwoman's on the loose again. And he's like, nope, she's still in jail. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. I'm like, when did you catch her? <laughs> <laughs> well, and but, to mention her without having ever shown her is is I, I love the assumption that people know who these who these characters are. Yeah, we don't and, need to and, waste time. And uh, they they don't go into this huge like thing about oh well we couldn't get that actor we couldn't get that actress so guess what we're gonna have someone else play them no it's like you know when we get three different Mister Freezes we get three different Catwomen's if you include the movie yeah uh, we get two different Riddlers well and what's uh, interesting I just saw this because I've, I've I've got uh, the fifth disc of the second season playing in the background while we're talking. And there was just a, a Victor Bono King Tut episode, and Lee Merriweather is actually Tut's girl. Yep. In yep. in this episode, which I didn't yep. know. Yep. She has a, a nice scene with uh, Bruce. That oh yeah that before we get uh, into the the sort of secondary villains, I, I do want to mention uh, the the raw sexual chemistry between. Julie Newmar and Adam West. Oh. I mean, my gosh. I mean, I almost feel a little dirty watching it. <laughs> and you're like, wow, did I know this? Is right. Did I feel anything? She uh, is so overt about yeah. wanting to get it on. And not so much her first appearance. Though. Not as much in the first appearance, but as the show goes on, once we get into the second season with her... And, and it's, 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 she's so much fun to watch because she clearly steps into the character more as the show goes on. Um, and, and really embraces Catwoman and what's happening. Like you can tell in her line delivery and in the way she deals with her, her henchmen, which by the way, that's how they get around Penguin not being a big tough guy or Catwoman being a woman is, is, <laughs> All of the villains have their their branded henchmen, yep. with names like Felix and uh, um, Heathcliff or, or whatever for Catwoman's, and and Ha Ha and He for Jokers and Crossword, and you know, I mean, it's 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 so great, and they have their matching outfits and everything. <laughs> And I think I, I'm not positive, but I think over the course of watching this, I think they had kind of a rotating cast of actors to play the various henchmen because I know their faces I've seen more than once henching for different people. That could be. I, to be honest, I haven't really. Uh, I don't know much about that. Which it is surprise me. Which is a concept they dipped into in the comics at, at one point. Well, probably more than one point. But I remember it specifically happening where there was kind of a gathering of henchmen, and they were yeah. talking about working for the different people and how like Joker paid really well, but you may end up dead. And like Riddler was a pain in the ass because he didn't just say what he wanted. And I I, I wish I could remember what issue or what storyline that was because it was a really good uh, one of those off offshoot things that the world of Batman is so interesting when they do yeah yeah no it's um it's something that I've seen a few times uh and and yeah it works it definitely works and like I said it, it wouldn't surprise me because heck they've had 
like I said, they had different play- guys playing. You know, like I think every time Mister Freeze appeared, it was someone different. Wasn't yeah, yeah, it was. Uh, you had George Sanders, and well, and he. What was interesting was he looked different as well because George Sanders was the first season Mister Freeze who actually had the bubble helmet with the faceplate on the front. Yep. Uh, and then Otto Preminger w- was the second season with the insane eyebrows. Alright. But they took the helmet off because he didn't want to play behind a helmet. So he had that ring around his neck with the mist coming out of it. Absolutely. Uh, and then in the third season, it was Eli Wallach who had pretty much the same outfit as Preminger, but had hair and, and was a little more sinister. All three of them were scary though. Yeah. Yeah. And no explanation given for why they were different or anything like that. Right. They just didn't care. Yeah, and yeah. They, they didn't feel the need to do that. And, uh, you know, um, I, you know, I, I know fans, I, I, there have been a lot of fans that have tried to rewrite things. I think the only one, to me, everybody works except the only one to me that was unfortunate was, I love John Aston, but, uh, and maybe, if we hadn't got ever gotten a Frank Gorshwin Joker, his, I mean, Riddler, his Riddler might have worked. But, uh, when John Aston comes in and, and, and subs for Gorshwin as the Riddler, it just falls flat. Yeah. Uh, well, okay. Here, I, I think what you just said is exactly correct. If we had never seen Frank Gorshin as the Riddler, I think John Aston would have been fine. He's not bad. It's just that Frank Gorshin was just left no scenery unchewed. He was so over the top, so maniacal, so scary. And John Aston, one, he only had one opportunity to play the role because all of the recurring villains as time went on got better. And, uh, you know, Frank Gorshin's first appearance, he's very, very good. But mm-hmm. in season three, he's just madness incarnate. <laughs> uh, John Aston only got the one opportunity, and I right. don't feel like he's bad, but he's just not Frank Gorshin. No, I would have loved to have seen him play another villain. Yes, yes. Uh, his own villain. I think that would have been, been spectacular. Uh, that would have been definitely preferable if they couldn't get Gorshin. Because I think Gorshin had an issue where he was filming something else yes, for the second yeah. season. Yep. And uh, they, they really should have just cast John Aston as somebody else and, and brought Gorshin back when he was available. Which they did bring him back for the third season. Yeah, I mean, I think they were thinking about making him somebody like the Puzzler or something like that, right. and rewriting it. But they just they just decided to just go. Well, and they so. did have the Puzzler and they on had the such show. Success doing they just they had success doing other, you know, replacing other actors right. and everything. So they were probably like, yeah, it'll it'll be fine. Sure, sure. Um, okay, now on to the sort of secondary villains who, when I was a kid. Egghead was, I've got to say, I'm looking at a list in front of me. Uh, King Tut was definitely memorable. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't know that I really appreciated how great Victor Buono was. I know I didn't. I, I, I did not care for his. <laughs> I, he was the one that, and it seemed like every time I tuned in, there he was. I was like, oh, I was gonna, I was always hope for another, like, a cool villain. 
and it seemed like it was always him. Yeah, he I, I he was he's re- in a lot. Yeah, he was replayed a lot. Well, I think he was replayed a lot, and I think he's in more of them than some of the other secondary villains. But uh, he now he's great. I thoroughly enjoy watching him. Uh, and and really, it's that way with most of these. Uh, David Wayne as the Mad Hatter. I love this Mad Hatter. Yes, I was watching that during this run that I w- I've been on for the since I've got the Blu-rays. I watched the Mad Hatter two-parter, and I thought, my God, this is awesome. Yes. I'm like, why wasn't David Wayne and the Mad Hatter in more of these? Because he is he's right up there. I would put Mad Hatter uh, with any of the top villains. Yes. Well, it, uh, and I'm like, why don't we see him more? He's so good. Well, and, and his gimmick even makes... Now, granted, I'm not familiar with the pre-Alice in Wonderland Mad Hatter. I know that's a concept that was... You know, obviously that's where the character derives from, but I think... The crazy, obsessed with Alice in Wonderland Mad Hatter came around later. Uh, possibly, but you're right. I mean, the, the, he was definitely created with that sure. in mind, and I was very surprised to see that there was none of right. that in the TV. He's a hat, I mean, he's a hat guy. He's a hat guy. And <laughs> to me, the gimmick he has in the show of his hat popping open and hypnotizing people with those creepy little eyes is yep. way better than most of what I've seen in, in other media. Yeah, I, I, uh, uh, and he's not like, you know, he's become certainly in the comics, this short little imp of a guy that you would imagine that would be played by, you know, a little person or something like that. Yeah. Now, if they're going to do it now. And instead it's, it's, you know, I mean, he, David Wayne just nails it. And I, I, I was just watching this just in awe going, Oh, David, I know he's in, I think something later on. I don't know if it's later second season or third season, but so I know he got another. Uh, yeah, he's in at least two. But, but um, he was so good. I, 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 he's been so far the one that surprised me the most about how much I'm just like, wow, I, I want to see more of. This. Yeah, I know. I did not like him as a kid, and now I'm just like, wow, he is great. Yeah. Um. Uh. False faces. Cool. Yes. Yes, another one that really didn't do much for me as a kid, but now not not only is he cool, but his his episodes are really good. Yeah, there's something about his episodes that are very uh I mean, the show is action-packed anyway and it moves at a very fast pace, but for some reason his to me like are like um they just fly. Well, he gets a car chase. That doesn't chase, happen a gets, lot in this show. He gets foot chase, you know, they, they chase him on foot. There's like boom, boom, boom. It seems like there's something always happening yeah. with uh, his, yeah. one, his story. Um, Marsha, Queen of Diamonds, is one that I wasn't crazy about when I was a kid, and I'm still, you know, it's Carolyn Jones, so I can't not like her. I, I know, Carolyn I can't Jones. not yes. like her, but her stories yeah. aren't the best. I don't like the weird witch lady that's yeah. hanging out with her um yeah I I, I, those just don't really do it for me uh and then there's shame shame which is a cowboy and yep. should work for me because i 
uh, when I was a kid, another another franchise I just loved was Lone Ranger. And I, I, you know, I had a cowboy thing when I was a kid, but shame just, I don't know if it's Cliff Robertson. I don't know if it's the stories, even watching them now. I can't quite pinpoint what it is, but he's in two, well, two stories, four episodes and they just bore the crap out of me. You do the same thing I do, by the way. You pair them up by story. Maybe it's because we're we're into Doctor Who, but you pair them up by stories. Not well, and you kind of have to. I am always. I think so too, but I'm always, you know, I'm always doing that. I'm always like, oh, I watched, you know, an episode of uh, a Batman last night, but I actually watched. Right, right, right. So, uh, I think the thing here's the uh, here's the issue I have with shame is that I think if if there's so much. Uh, a parody of westerns, which were huge at right. the time, that if you get the jokes, it's a riot. If you don't, they fall flat. Uh, I get about half of them, uh, but because there's all these references to other westerns, the movie or TV wise, uh, Gunsmoke was huge back yeah. then, as where there other, there were tons of other western shows as well. And and I think if you get the jokes, um, like a lot of people would at the time, it, it's hilarious. But um, if you if you don't, they kind of fall flat, and that's where I end up, uh, kind of halfway there. Uh, they fell flat for me as a kid, and then later on, I'm like, oh, I get those. Those are a little funnier than I remember, but they're still not. I think they're. He's not so much his own villain as he is a parody of. You know, westerns. Yeah, and you know what? I th- I think you're I think you're right. I th- I think it's the fact that he just doesn't he he doesn't have that same established feeling character. Uh, I don't know if he's from the comics or not. I would imagine he is because I think everybody is. No. Oh, really? Who who? Let's let's look yeah. at that. I do believe that Egghead was original. Okay. To the, to the show. Uh, I also think that Shame was okay. as well. Um, a, a few others. I th- oh, um, uh, oh, Marsha, Queen of Diamonds, was created for the series. Was, oh, you know I what? Think. You're right. You're right. There's a whole... I've, I've just managed to pull up a list here. There's a ton of them that were just yeah. for the show. Sandman, uh, Minerva, Marsha, Menstrual, which in Menstrual, that was a bad episode, too. I, yeah. Yeah, they're not all winners. Yeah, we should we should make that. Even though we love the series, uh, you know, this isn't a total like stroking of the series. So there are some that are just kind most of, of the. I will say this: most of them are at the very least good. Um, but there there are some that are not great. And I've got this is a different list than I was looking at before. And I'm glad I pulled it up because we've got Roddy McDowell's Bookworm. I love yes. That. Bookworm's actually one of my favorites, and the way that one starts, uh, at least the first one with Bookworm, uh, I'm pretty sure isn't that the one where uh, Commissioner Gordon is shot? They're watching TV. Yes, uh, and, and yeah, Dick and 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 uh, Bruce are watching TV, and commi- there's this big ceremony with the bridge or something like that, and Commissioner Gordon gets shot and they yes. dead. That freaked. Me, that's probably one of my big freak out moments of the entire run of the show. Cause I was like, oh my god, they killed, it, it still, 
when I watch it. It's, it's a little shocking. It's it's not only it's not only that leftover impact from when you were younger, but also the fact that wow, they went there in this show. Yeah, because you know there are people that die on this series uh, in the first episode. Yes, uh, or the first you know yes parter. Um, the Riddler's woman <laughs> dies. Jumps in the into the atomic pile, or falls into yeah. the atomic pile. Yeah, falls in it. Yes, uh, and uh, and that's quite shocking. I do remember somebody said that that was the. I remember it was a, a, a myth, an urban myth or something that that was the only character that died uh, in the in the entire no, uh-uh. show. And that's no, not it's not. Uh, you watch that one. Um, uh, spoilers here, but the one with. Uh, Zelda the Great, where the two gunmen are 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 in the co- are in the yes. guy and they're waiting for <laughs> and their the guns are pointed pointed at one another, counting on Batman and Robin <laughs> walking into the crossfire. Exactly, and all they do is I think yeah yeah something, and they take then they take <laughs> yes, each other and out, the coffins so. fall over, and then they just move on. Yep. No yep, no thought just, yeah. is given to those coffins full of dead people. Yeah, you've you you've got two you've got two guys riddled with bullets just bleeding to death, right? Uh, and they just move on. Um, some other uh, notables: uh, Sandman, who I didn't appreciate at all when I was a kid, and actually, even in watching the import version uh, a few years ago, didn't particularly care for him. But now, I I really enjoyed. His story, I liked the one where he worked with Catwoman, uh, which I think was his first appearance. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I'm not familiar with Michael Michael Rennie. I'm not familiar with him, yeah. but I really liked his delivery. Uh, he, he's a weird, different character. It's just a little confusing that he has nothing to do with the DC Comics character, Sandman. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> um, and then, let's see, we got Bookworm. Uh, oh, Okay, here's another one that as a kid, I I think I remember going and doing something else when it was his episode. But now, seeing Milton Berle as Louis the Lilac, I really liked his this time. Uh, yeah, he's uh, he's another one, and you know a lot of it's because of the yes. actors. I mean, they are yes. incredible, and uh, and their deliveries, their charm, everything is just uh, right on point. Yeah, he he's and and that's the thing is, so many of these people. When I was a kid, I didn't know who the heck they were. Now I have more familiarity with their careers, with their body of work, and I I get it more i know who they are and i can sit and watch and be like i know what milton burl does and i'm watching this and this is fun and i like it uh liberace is another one that chandel i had no use for when i was a kid but my (laughs) gosh he's just fantastic especially doing the dual role of chandel and his twin brother because watching liberace try to pull off the the stereotypical gangster uh, way of talking is one of the funniest things I've ever seen. Absolutely. It's, uh, it, it, yeah, it's just another great performance. Well, and it's Liberace, which is, uh, you know, now, 
as much of a shame as it is, I, you know, that name is, has lost some of its cachet, some of its recognition. You know, in, anybody under 30, it may not even know who Liberace is. But when I was a kid, Liberace was a superstar. He was, he was Michael Jackson before there was a Michael Jackson. To me, he was on the Muppet show. He was on Batman. Um, now granted, like I said, he wasn't my favorite villain on Batman, but I knew who Liberace was. Like I knew yes. it was a big deal. He was on that show. I remember, uh, <laughs> this is terrible. I probably shouldn't tell this story. Uh, what in the world was the show? Was it Lawrence Welk? Would Liberace have been on Lawrence Welk? Would that have happened? Maybe it could have. I, I I remember at the time that Lawrence Welk was a big I, deal. I, so, I can't. I mean, but Lawrence Welk's kind of yeah. He kind of stuck to the to the Christians. Yeah. Thing. See, I'm well. Anyway, there was a program. Uh, we were at my grandparents in North Carolina, and Liberace. I, maybe HBO or something was broadcasting a concert. I don't know what it was. Liberace was on, and I was like, "Oh, it's Liberace! Look at that guy. He wears crazy clothes." You know, I'm a little kid. I'm just like, oh, look at him. And my grandfather immediately changes the channel and says, we're not watching that fruit. (laughs) (laughs) I had no idea what was going on. And the funny thing is, within a, a couple of years, the exact same thing happened with Elton John. There was an Elton John concert on, and uh, I, I was aware of Elton John again from The Muppet Show, uh, which we'll have to do a whole other episode about The Muppet Show and its impact. But uh, I knew who Elton John was, and I was like, oh, look, it's the guy from The Muppet Show. And same reaction. Click. We're not watching that fruit. <laughs> um, there was... There was probably a lot in Batman that a lot of uh, folks like that did not want to. I mean, it it must have been as popular as it was. Uh, it was just a, a it must have been an assault, a, literally an assault to the senses yeah. in a lot of people. Yeah. So uh, I can only imagine that, uh, and that's another reason why I think the the, the it, it kind of ran its course. I mean, three years, uh, and uh, it like I said that when they. When ABC decided to make it a half hour, one half hour show during the week, the third season, they introduced Batgirl, but they had way too many characters that they had to deal right. with in a half hour time right. period. It just got kind of sloppy. And, and plus, I think Adam even says that it looked like they were writing more for kids than adults. So some of the humor and some of the satire and whatever had been dulled. At that point, and uh, the I think the studio or the network said, "Well, yes, it's popular, but it's more popular with kids than adults now. So, and kids don't spend money. So let's let's pull the plug." Well, before before we close, uh, I do want to talk a little more specifically about the set. Uh, it's interesting to me that everything is so Adam West centric. You have. The Adam West scrapbook, not the Batman scrapbook, 
or, or, or the producer's scrapbook, but this is all very specifically commentary from Adam West in this little book that's included. And it seems to me that he is very much the focus of this. Uh, and, and obviously some of that is attrition. I mean, a lot of these people sadly are no longer with us. Uh, that's true. I think, uh, out of the main crew, uh, Bert in, and Adam are still with us and all three. No, sorry. Only two of the cameramen yeah. are with us. And, yeah. And yeah. It. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's sad how few we have left, but at the same time, you know, this is 50 years ago. I mean, it's, it's mm-hmm. incredible to think it was that long ago that, that this was, was on. Uh, and, and of course, I want to briefly touch on, we talked about this before we started recording and I completely forgot about it. We've got to talk a little bit about DC's comic, uh, the Batman 66 comic. I think it's fantastic. Yes. I think they've really captured the show in a way. It has all of the fun of the show. But also has a little bit of modern, uh, not satire, but it, it just has a bit of modern sensibility, modern comedy, but it still has the earnest sincerity of the show. Right. I think it did what the show did on its best day, which is to appeal to kids on a straightforward way, as well as, you know, uh, put a little jokes in there for the adults. Yeah, I'll, th- this is a comic, uh, you know, sadly there aren't a lot of these, but this is a comic that I'll sit and read with my son. We, we read this together mm-hmm. and I'll do the voices and everything. And, uh, we, we have a blast every time it comes out. We'll sit and read the whole issue. And the wonderful thing about the comic is all of the things it could do that the show didn't have the budget for or didn't have the scope for. Yes. You know, we've seen things yeah. like penguin floating around on a gigantic iceberg in the middle of the Gotham river. Uh, just really big, fantastic set pieces that the show never could have accomplished. And because of our familiarity with the show, reading the comic is seeing these characters that we know doing the things that we always wanted them to be able to do. Yeah, and I don't think there's any better example of that than the Batman Lost episode special issue that came out that actually has uses the uh, the outline script that Harlan Ellison did for Two-Face – uh, that was going to be an episode, but for various reasons was not. Uh, I think they thought he was a little bit too violent yeah. and gross for uh, for that time period and for th- what they were trying to do, so it wouldn't have worked. So they they scrapped it, but uh, yet uh, they have. So they had used the original treatment. And they were able to make this, bring this to life in a visual format, and it looks it, it's gorgeous and it's written well. Um, it's got a beautiful cover by uh, Alex Ross. Uh, it's got, uh, wonderful adaptation writing by Len, uh, Len, excuse me, Len Weiss. And, uh, um, the, uh, the art is, is beautiful as well. So I would urge anybody, even if you're not going out and, you know, you don't want to get the whole kit and caboodle of the comics and everything, if you're a fan of the show, I think this needs to be in your collection because this is quote unquote a real. Well, and, episode. and it is, this is DC is doing a fantastic job of caretaking the the feel of the show because all of the artists working on these books have captured the the look and feel of the show 
None of them have been mm-hmm. subpar in any way. The art, like Mike Allred, is is kind of the point, man. He's doing the covers. He, he, oh yeah, he was perfect for it. I mean, yeah, he was he was the guy. Yes, he and and but unfortunately, he's doing a lot of uh, work uh, in other companies on interior stuff, so he's not able. to No, do it's a lot not of unfortunate stuff. because I, he's doing the fantastic Silver Surfer comic over at Marvel. Oh my gosh, it's so good. You're absolutely right about that. It is. You're you're right. I got the first trade of that the other day, and that was brilliant. And uh, but he is he is providing the covers, which is and and you're right, setting the tone for what the art's going to be on the inside. You don't you don't open it up and go, oh man, it's not like right. anything like it should be. But it's actually uh, uh, thematically very and artistically very, yes, very uh, very poppy, very art uh, whatever Warhol's style is called that I can't think of right now, but it's, yes. it's what it should be. It looks beautiful. Um, the, the dialogue is, is exactly like I do my best. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not an impersonator, but I do my best to, to do Adam West and Burt Ward and, and, you know, everybody else. And when you read these lines, you feel those characters coming out. I mean, they really have a handle on what this is. And the interesting thing, I, I haven't read the Two-Face one yet. I flipped through it. Uh, I'll get to it. But the interesting thing to me is I read something the other day, and I don't know how true this is, but I read something that said they were looking at Clint Eastwood uh, to play Two-Face, which to me adds a whole other level of appeal to that story. Yeah, I I don't know in the in the comic actually the adaptation they they basically say that they got as far as our Ellison submitted a treatment now whether or not that got any further than that I don't know but uh well I'm even sure if it's, it's not possible. true I just now that I've heard it I really right it's I like really idea. like the idea so in my head that you know when I read that it's going to be Clint Eastwood's voice you know what I mean I could see that. Well, that's uh, that's about it. Are there any last uh, final Batman sixty six thoughts you have to share? I love the theme. It's one of my favorite themes in ever ever. It's ever it's made. fantastic, and all of the different variations of it that are used within the show are fantastic. Because I mean, they they change it up. They they use it in the the fight scenes. It's different. Uh, it's different arrangements of the theme, uh, when the Batmobile's driving, when the, you know, it, it's different and it never gets old. You know, we've sat here, my son and I have watched, uh, what, uh, 70, 80 episodes of this now, I guess. And we watch the opening credits every single time. I mean, that's, that's amazing. Yeah. I mean, yeah. It's, it like the the series itself. The theme music is upbeat. Uh, the the series is upbeat. It's it's fun to watch. You can just lose yourself for an hour or so. Um, it, it's just fun. It's fun adventure. It it personally had an impact on me that still um, affects. Look, it's not a it's it's no um, coincidence that Batman is my favorite superhero, my favorite character that I enjoy. Um, uh, and this had a large part of it. Um, it's no secret that I I like, um, it's not a coincidence that I like yeah. cliffhangers and that uh, I try to encourage, I like, I'm, I'm drawn to dramas and adventures with really good cliffhangers. 
uh, this, this show really affected me in a way that, uh, even to this day, uh, I, I can point to other things that I like and go, I think it's because it started here. Um, and, uh, it, you know, I'm glad that it's finally been released so I can revisit it. And when I do so, it's yes. even better than I remember. And it's, and it's, and it's certainly so beautiful. The Batmobile looks gorgeous every time it's on the screen. And that's another thing you said about the theme. Well, every time they go, you know, they slide down the poles, they go down, they go over to, they go into the, um, the Batmobile. Uh, and it's the only time because they did it the first time, the, the first time they ever did it. So it's the only time I think Burt Ward ever uses the door. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it happens every time yeah. because they replay it and they replay the the Batmobile like sparking up and then flying past the 14 miles to Gotham, and then pulling in front of city uh, city hall or police headquarters or whatever. Uh, and it's the same shot over and over and over again. But it never gets old because that Batmobile looks well. So all gorgeous. of the the vehicles, the bat copter, uh, and the bat cycle that were introduced after, I guess yep. they had the budget for them in the movie. So after the movie, they used them in the show because they, they don't show up till the second season. Uh, it, right. They, yeah, because they did the movie in right. between first and second season and they were able to, I think, use the money for that to, to and, uh, more toys. They, they, I mean, they, they just all, have that uniform look, the red lines, the scalloped bat wings. The, I mean, they, they just really, the, the, the whole show had an aesthetic to it that, that it's just very uniform. It's, it's, it knows what it is. Everybody involved in it knew what they were doing. And I highly, yeah. highly recommend if you're listening to this, and you've dismissed it or you watched it when you were a kid and like me, you, you went through a phase where you, you thought, eh, that's silly. I don't want Batman like that. Find a buddy that has this set, hang out with them for a day, watch a few episodes with an open mind and give it a chance and, and try, you know, recognize it for what it is. And not everybody's going to love it. There are some grim people out there. Uh, who, who don't have much humor, who, who can't appreciate different aspects of things. And I, that's fine. That's totally fine. But give it a chance. Have fun with it. And, and I really think there's something there because it's, it's high quality production. It's people whose hearts were 100% into what they were doing. And if you enjoy you know, it's not the only time where Batman has been a little like light or tongue in cheek. I mean, look at the Batman Brave and the Bold series, which you mentioned earlier, as yeah. well as Lego Batman, which thanks to the Lego movie, as well as uh, the other the Lego games and everything. I mean, it, it really it starts here. Well, and honestly, you know, as much as we talk about the grimness of the Burton movies and even the Nolan movies, they all have humor in them. The Burton movies, uh, Batman and Batman Returns, are very funny. They're darker. They have a gothic tone to them. But there's a humor there that certainly comes from this show. Well, that, that last one really feels like a big... Oh, like yeah, the Clooney one? Episode. Yeah, yeah. Well, and see, yeah. that's why... I love Batman and Robin. 
Uh, George Clooney is just straight up doing an impersonation of Adam West through that whole movie. Uh, Mr. Freeze is basically just an update of a Batman 66 Mr. Freeze. <laughs> yes, he, he, he totally is. He absolutely is. Same thing with Poison Ivy. I mean, that movie is so much fun. Uh, it is not a great follow up to what Tim Burton did. But it's a fantastic tribute to Batman 66. Uh, Batman Forever doesn't work for me because it's in the middle of those two. Uh, they were trying to keep to the Burton aesthetic while also trying to do the Schumacher aesthetic, and it, it doesn't work. Uh, I think Jim Carrey is fun, and I would love to see Jim Carrey as the Riddler again as a different take on the Riddler. I think he's got it in him to be the maniacal... Uh, yes, I think he has that in it. Well, he, I mean, essentially he was doing a Gorshin impersonation. I think he could do a more serious version of that and be very, very good. But, but anyway, uh, the point is even in the Nolan movies, he cracks little jokes. He says funny things. They're not humorless. Uh, so sit, sit, you know, if you, if you can, Sit down and give this a chance if you haven't done it in a while and, and, and just see if, if you can get into it and, uh, dig yourself some Batusi. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> Mike, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show again. It's always a pleasure to have you here. And like I said, anytime I'm talking Batman, uh, I, I want you around. I appreciate that. It's always fun to talk about Batman. You know how much I love the character in all his incarnations. So, um, it's been, and, and I'm just glad that this series was finally released in a way that we can uh, yes, talk about. Yes, yes, absolutely. Uh, before we close, plug, uh, plug your sites, plug your stuff. Sure. Uh, well, um, I write comics. I publish comics. I've got uh, probably most known for Tiki Zombie, uh, which is uh, going to hit its third, fourth, fifth issue this year. Uh, uh, TikiZombie.net, or you can also go to uh, NewLegendMike.com to find out more information about the writing projects that I do. And of course, you can find me on the ESO Network. Uh, I am the co-host of the weekly Earth Station One uh, podcast, and of course. Uh, Earth Station Who, which uh, there'll be episodes, uh, new episodes of that airing this week as well. Yeah, yeah, we're going to be talking about uh, Dalek Invasion of Earth, yes. which is so weird because I feel a certain deja vu. <laughs> because <laughs> feeling I, that too, right? Because we did the I, movie earlier. Yeah, and I felt positive that I had seen the Hartnell version, but I, I have, I don't own it, and I don't, I can't think of an opportunity I would have had to watch it. So it's just that familiarity with the Cushing version, I guess. And and probably, I, I'm sure I've seen in documentaries and stuff, shots from the Hartnell version. So that's mm -hmm. probably what I'm thinking of. But, mm. yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. It'll be a good one. Well, Mike, thanks for coming on. Uh, always a blast having you here. And we will talk to you again soon. Cool. As always, it's my pleasure. Thanks, man. I forgot to mention at the beginning of the show when I was talking about the casket creatures who provided our music this week, I will be recording with them sometime soon, hopefully. Uh, we're going to have a big deal where we get together and I go on their podcast, your Creature Cast, 
and they will come on Needless Things and talk about themselves and their history and what they've done. Uh, I'm excited about the Creature Cast because what they do is talk about various uh, sort of myths, legends, cryptozoology, that sort of thing. Just weird, creepy, spooky stuff. And they've got a couple episodes out and it's really fun. And uh, I look forward to being on that. And I definitely look forward to having them on my show because we've been trying to work that out for quite some time. And, you know, they're rockers, man. They're busy all the time. And I'm also busy uh, somehow or other. There's always something going on. So we're trying to work it out. Remember, you can listen to the Needless Things podcast on iTunes and on Stitcher. Check out NeedlessThingsSite.com for toys, movies, music, wrestling, all manner of nerdery and pop culture goodness. And, of course, check out the Casket Creatures and uh, Mike Gordon and the ESO Network and all that other stuff. And uh, that's it. I've got to go check on some dehumidifiers and a blowers and whatever else and also it's almost my bedtime i gotta work tomorrow i love you guys later This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network, your station for all things geek, classic, current, and beyond. Be part of the crew at esonetwork.com.